From Welcome Villain Films, the studio that brought you the horror hit Malum, as well as Beaten to Death and Hunter Killer, comes their newest nightmare, Mind, Body, Spirit, now available on digital. Directed by Alex Haynes and Matthew Miranda, and produced by Dan Asma, Mind, Body, Spirit follows Anya, an aspiring yoga influencer, as she embarks on a ritual practice left behind by her estranged grandmother. What starts as a spiritual self-help guide quickly evolves into something much more sinister. As Anya becomes increasingly obsessed with the mysterious power of the practice, she unwittingly unleashes an otherworldly entity that begins to take control of her life and her videos. Now, Anya must race to unlock the truth before her descent into madness threatens to consume her mind, body, and spirit. During its festival tour, which stops at Chattanooga Film Festival and the Unnamed Footage Festival, Mind, Body, Spirit garnered praise from critics who call it a found footage version of Hereditary and a knockout found footage horror movie for the live stream era. Experience the first ever yoga-themed found footage horror film and don't miss the film viewers have called extremely frightening and upsetting. Available now on digital anywhere you rent or buy movies online, including Prime Video and Apple Plus. Your homepage for horror is here. Fangoria.com is now live and brimming with the digital horror content you crave. Fangoria.com is your first destination for all the horror news of the day, featuring a constant curation of the Fango team's favorite links from across the internet. They are taking the time to aggregate the most important news in horror in one space to save you time and sanity. You'll also find long-form pieces, deep dives, and daily thoughts from the biggest names in horror, as well as exclusive access to the Fangoria Vault. Right now, all current subscribers to the magazine are automatically members of Fangoria.com. And as promised, the content of the new issues will forever be print only. If you're not already a subscriber, check out the new Fangoria.com for yourself and see the horror right before your eyes. Use promo code POSTMORTEM for 15% off right now. 15% off Fangoria and Fangoria.com. Promo code POSTMORTEM. I'm Mick Garris, and this is the fun size episode of Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything. And here to ask your questions is producer Joe Russo. Joe, how are you? I'm well, Mick. How are you? Never better, thanks. Good. Uh, well, Until so... we start talking Fuzzbucket. <laughs> oh, boy, don't spoil it. Oh, okay. Uh, I think at this it's point, already been people that I know I've been yeah, teasing yeah. this for weeks now, but... Uh, <laughs> So this will be our Thanksgiving episode of Postmortem AMA. Oh, so you chose the turkey. Yes, I chose the turkey. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) But I thought we'd go back in time and and give thanks to how you got started. Let's go back to your childhood, 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 childhood. So I've got got a couple questions that are, that will ease us into fuzz bucket. (laughs) Okay. I don't like the way that sounded at all. (laughs) It sounds wrong. Uh, We're starting this badly. (laughs) I love it. All right. Dirty South Film Productions, which doesn't sound good either. Dirty South Film Productions wants to know, what was your first short film and can we see it? <laughs> Should I answer the f- second question first? Um, sure. 
No. <laughs> uh, the first short film I made was something called Breaking Up. And at the time, I was working at Avco Embassy doing publicity on genre films like Escape from New York and The Howling and The Fog. And um, so it was actually right after my divorce. I divorced my first wife, and I was single and dating a lot and going through all of those throes of romance and, yeah. and lack thereof. So it was a romantic comedy, very R-rated, about a character who goes through um, relationship after relationship or kind of relationship, very unfulfilling things. And um, so it was shot on 16 millimeter, and uh, it's not great. <laughs> but it got me an agent at the William Morris Agency. That's something. And so that's, that, that's pretty it impressive, was good enough actually. to do that. Well, then uh, I think it might be good enough to... to well, was, oh, I guess the question is, does it exist anywhere? There is the 16-millimeter answer print, the only thing that was ever made. It wow. has turned red. Oh, wow. So, it, And frankly, it doesn't disappoint me much that uh, <laughs> it is not watchable right now. Yeah. Um, you know, it was fine for what it did in its day, um, but it's nothing that I think really shows much prowess, but it was an exercise. I didn't know sure. anything about what a, a director did, right. and I learned by doing on that one. Which is honestly the best best way to get started and find out if you even like directing. <clears throat> yeah, and I found out I did, regardless of the audience. So, <laughs> All right, Movie Obulette asks... Which of the Amazing Stories episodes uh, that you wrote were your personal favorites? Um, I wrote the story for one I directed called Life on Death Row. And that, although it was the second professional directing job I'd had, it felt like the first one. So uh, there's a script I wrote called The Amazing Fallsworth that won me a, a, um, an Edgar Award from oh, wow. the Mystery Writers of America. And it was a story by Steven Spielberg, and I wrote the screenplay. And it starred Gregory Hines. And it was maybe the only really dark and scary episode of Amazing Stories. But Life on Death Row was interesting in that it's almost identical to The Green Mile. Huh. Patrick Swayze plays a convicted murderer um, who is on death row. He's just been brought there. There's a prison escape. He's hit by a bolt of lightning uh, going over the fence and wakes <laughs> up in the infirmary and discovers that his touch can heal. Oh, wow. And so wow. it creates quite a, a moral huh. dilemma. And it's something that um, once I got to know and work with Stephen King years later, after I read The Green Mile, I said, did you ever see this episode of Amazing Stories? Uh, I don't know if you know that it, it has so much in common. Right. And he said, you know, I think I do remember seeing it. It was really good. So I love the fact that yeah. I did something that influenced, influenced Stephen King, King whether now, it was conscious or not. And you read the Green Mile pages on the set of The Shining, right? I did. That's yeah. pretty cool. As just, it was being written. Just an interesting aside. I suppose. Yeah. And uh. then when Frank Darabont was... <laughs> prepping to do it i sent him a laser disc of that episode oh how cool well he never responded i oh. think it was like oh shit uh, <laughs> i don't uh, i i better just leave this alone no wait so what you said that was uh the amazing stories episode was your second professional directing gig what was the first 
Are we about to talk about it? We are. <laughs> <clears throat> that was the timeless classic. No, wait, that's Critters too. Uh, Fuzz Bucket. <laughs> All right, was, so yeah. so let's let's go back in time and just kind of set things up. So uh, you had written a couple spec scripts that got you representation and got you meetings around town, got right. the attention of Amblin and Spielberg and Amazing Stories. Right. Did Fuzz Bucket happen during that? period it did in fact the original story idea the treatment that i wrote was called mikey's buddy okay so this was an original <clears throat> mick garris idea this wasn't yes. something that disney already had no it was an original story that i intended for amazing stories and pitched to spielberg i could see how that would fit who passed on it huh so um so i wrote it uh, i had a meeting uh with jeffrey katzenberg when he was at disney and they were interested because I had been doing well as a writer. Um, they were interested in signing me to an exclusive contract to Disney. Oh, wow. I didn't want to be out of the running for any other studios um, and just connected to Disney. But I certainly was open to having that meeting sure. with Mr. Katzenberg. Absolutely. As we were talking, John Landis walked down the corridor and Jeffrey said, hang on a second. He ran out in the corridor came back in and said, if John Landis is your executive producer, would you want to write and direct one of our Disney Sunday movies? Wow. And this was a new series. It was one-hour movies, and, and none of them had been made yet. And so... Uh, Just so I, people know, at this point, you've been friends with John for a long time. I met John in 1977 when right. I was working in the Star Wars office. He was uh, working offices. on Animal House. He was prepping Animal House in the office right next door to mine, and we became friendly there and we've been friends ever since yeah yeah so he so, was he was probably happy to do it he was happy to do it he said you know uh, jeff he told me years later jeffrey said you know has he directed before does he know it and john just lied and said yeah he'll be great he'll be terrific you know? <laughs> and so uh so he just said you better not embarrass me that's funny so well, john was executive producer in name right and visited the set a couple of times, but I actually wrote and produced and directed it. It was my first time out, and uh, I learned a lot. Um, it played forever on the Disney Channel years afterwards. Yeah, yeah. You know, and people who saw it as a kid have very fond memories of it. And you learn a lot by doing things wrong. Sure. If you're smart, <laughs> if you're not foolish and well, there were before, a lot of before things before we I get learned. into that though I have, yeah. I have a couple other so like what what was the so one thing that was really interesting when i pulled it up on disney plus yeah because there are no commercial breaks as it was intended it to be watched with mm. uh it's it's only 46 minutes long yeah it was an uh, hour-long show yeah okay yeah got it so the it, wonderful world of disney were they were like yeah, hour-long disney sunday movie movies. came after wonderful world of disney okay and they were one got hour it. shows on sunday nights at seven o'clock right disney kind of owned that time slot since the 50s right when it was walt disney presents then it was disneyland then it was the wonderful world of color right and then it was the wonderful world of disney and then the disney sunday movie got it okay it that was is, the that, second that disney sense. sunday movie ever made so when you had originally conceived it, I mean, obviously it was for amazing stories. So that would have that. So it, so it was perfect to to slide into this kind of anthology format. Though. Yeah, it would have been a half hour amazing story, right. but it was an hour uh, Disney Sunday movie. Do you think, in retrospect, it would have been a better half hour? Or <laughs> well, you know, it in a way, half hour is really too short, right? For, especially because a half hour was twenty four minutes in those mm -hmm. days, and. 
usually punchline stories fit in a half hour. Now, Amazing Stories got some great writers and some great filmmakers, so they really upped the ante. And Twilight Zone did it, of course, too. But if you look back on a lot of those Twilight Zones and Alfred Hitchcock half hours, they're punchline stories. And something, this was a family drama, and it it was a little bit darker what I intended, just like in Hocus Pocus. Sure. Uh, but we were making a Disney movie, and... It's about a, a young boy who um, has an invisible friend. Yes. And it turns out the friend is not invisible, but only in another dimension. When he drinks a magic potion. Right. And becomes invisible. We see what he really looks like. <laughs> which, which, why don't you explain that for the viewers? Well, a lot how, of people, how would you describe it? Nick? A lot of people think he looks like a rat mated with a possum. <laughs> and that's probably not too far off. I was very insistent on the tale. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it, was, uh, it was designed by Kevin Yeager and uh, Robert, oh, I forget his last name. This was a makeup guy from the original Wizard of Oz in 1939. Oh my gosh. Was kind of overseeing the makeup lab when we did this yeah. back in 1986. So he was still kicking and working and wore a white lab coat as he did his makeups and everything. Oh, that's cool. And Kevin Yeager, who create, you know, did Freddy Krueger and so many other uh, really iconic makeup uh, effects in horror films, he designed the creature. And so, you know, part of it is stimulated by Mikey's loneliness, mm -hmm. this character. And in one scene, it was written and shot where he's overhearing his parents fighting. Yes. And that's not what ended up in the show because Disney said, well, this is a little too traumatic. So what he overhears them saying is, honey, I'm worried about Mikey, <laughs> rather than the actual fight. The fight, which was based was that, on... Was that something that was changed in ADR, I assume, then later? It was changed in post, yeah. 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 Um, but, you know, it was there were some things that were inspired by my life, overhearing battles between my parents. Well, I was wondering when I watched it last night yeah. if him being named Michael was somehow tied to... I was just trying to put myself in my 12-year-old mode. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, he's too old to have imaginary friends, but right. it's based on imagination, and it's up to you whether Fuzzbucket is real or not. And uh, it would present itself as if it is real, and the world of Fuzzbuckets is real and sure. traumatic. There were, and there, there's more than one Fuzzbucket, too. That was a That's fun surprise right. at the yeah. end. <laughs> so I had a bunch of little people actors who were yeah. really great. And, you know, there were... 10 or 12. Yes, there were. And it was really fun, but boy, a real uh, challenge to the makeup and wardrobe department. I bet. I bet. Do you remember, I mean, do you have any idea what the budget was? Do you remember? I haven't a clue. Yeah. What about the schedule? Uh, the schedule for an hour, I think it was probably seven days. Wow. Seven or eight. It yeah. might have been eight. Yeah. But, um, and I shot on the Disney lot, which mm -hmm. was fantastic. Yeah. And at the time... Blue screen was still the most popular form for doing visual effects and traveling mats and things. But there was a gold screen, a, a, a sodium screen that they used that only worked with one prism. Hmm. And they tried to duplicate this prism, but they, they couldn't. And Disney had this prism, and it was insured for like a million dollars or something. Huh. And we used that for our traveling mats and for our effects 
in the on the Disney lot instead of a blue screen. Interesting. When when yeah. Fuzzbucket first appears, it's yes. the, the, there's quite a, a lot of him as a skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> it, is... it takes a little longer than it should, and it's a lock off because in those days there was no motion sure. control. There, sure. The effects are rather um, pedestrian, but you know I like the idea of seeing him form from the inside yeah, out it was first cool. you see a skeleton it was, it was, and then it you almost see... a little scary too good uh, <laughs> but you, <laughs> you see the skeleton and the musculature to go. And yeah. all of that yeah. take place i mean it's unfortunate it had to be a lock off and it's a wide shot and again it wasn't shot or posted digitally so right you just have to guess how long it's going to be. You can't just say, no, let's speed it up by 20% or sure. this or that. You send it out to the lab and do it, and two days later you get another attempt. Yeah. So you couldn't keep going back on that. It was 16 millimeter? No, no, 35. It was 35. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this was almost everything network TV was 35 millimeter, and this was Disney. You yeah, know, sure. So it had, a jewel had to in be. the crown. Yeah. 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 Um, well, I, I, I do want to. I know you are sensitive to it and obviously it's your first project as a director so i i, I totally understand i've moved uh, past it it's I, okay <laughs> yeah, but but i will say i thought the uh the kid who played mikey was terrific chris hebert yeah yeah, yeah. you really Very got a wonderful actor. performance out of him oh thank you and uh, and surrounded by really good actors yeah i mean wendy phillips and and Joe Rigobuto, yeah. really, really the, strong. The Even Dean Catherine from Animal, Animal House was in it. Yes, uh, was that a John thing, or was that, that... was he was somebody I really wanted, John yeah. Vernon. Yeah, and he turned it down. But then Landis, as ah. my executive producer, went to John Vernon, and he plays Dean Wormer in yeah. Animal House. And so he said, "Oh, you're producing? Well, of course I'll do it." <laughs> and you know, he was. Uh, it was my first experience with any actors on a professional shoot but um but you, you, know, did, you did he, a great job in that department for oh sure. thanks I, I, I do i'm really happy with with all of the cast yeah but um he was a guy who uh didn't take any shit yeah <laughs> i so didn't you, give him any so <laughs> what so you said there were lessons that you learned from it what were some of those well you think you're doing a really special shot and then you see it in context and it's not and you try and make it pretty. You you learn the language of cinema and filmmaking. It does have a language. There's a reason to use a certain lens or certain colors that uh, that range with the emotions you're trying to convey. How camera movement can enhance the emotional content of a film. How to use different coverage and not be too standard and yeah you can have a crane do an establishing shot and stuff but that's not that special even if it's the first time you've ever done it mm -hmm. but also on an emotional level and cynthia pointed this out to me is that at the end at the climax after this traumatic event takes place with he goes, Mikey, he goes missing in the parents mind exactly yeah. And so he shows up, and it's under this beautiful tree, and it's this beautiful location and all. And they are reunited after this terrible separation. There are no hugs. Yeah. You know, my family was not a huggy-feely family. And, and, you know, when you have things that draw you together, like the events of passing of family members, things like that, or, or tragedies or traumas that bring you together, that hadn't really happened to me at that point in my life. And uh, it was pointed out to me that nobody hugs here. Here's this reunion after something really horrible. And it's okay to go for emotion and not be 
embarrassed to be emotive or ashamed by it or anything like that, that go ahead and go for it. And I didn't. And I learned, and now I've kind of gone the opposite way in that (laughs) even though most of my work is in the horror genre, it's an emotional content that that I try to reach that um, is often not a part of genre material. Well, it, it helped uh, in, in, in a way shape what your career would become. So I think that's... Absolutely. So there's, there's everything happens for a reason. And it led to Hocus Pocus. And it led to, and it led to Hocus Pocus. Yeah. So the, there's lots of good that came from Fuzz Bucket, which you can now see on, on Disney+. Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Something to be thankful for uh, as we wrap up our Thanksgiving episode. So, right. uh, Mick, happy Thanksgiving, everyone and listening. Happy Thanksgiving to you, Joe. And remember, you can send your questions to me at Mick Garris PM on Twitter or on Instagram, and hopefully, we'll answer them right here. If you're enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you would let the world know about it by reviewing and rating it on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you have comments or questions for our Ask Mick Anything shows, send them to producer Joe at Joe Russo Tweets or to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram or Twitter or the Postmortem with Mick Garris Facebook page. This is a brand new address, so don't forget it. That's at Mick Garris PM on both Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to see my vintage and recent video interviews, making of documentaries, and audiobooks of some of my short stories, go to my website, mickgarrisinterviews.com. Thanks for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every other Wednesday and subscribe on iTunes.